Hi there from Bedford. How are you all? Welcome to the What Bitcoin Did podcast, which is brought to you by the Mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell and trade Bitcoin. I'm your host, Peter McCormack, and today I've got another show in my Bitcoin Around the World series, one I recorded when I was in Santiago, Chile, with Guillermo Torelba from South American Bitcoin Exchange, Buda, where we discussed the political unrest in Chile and Bitcoin's carbon footprint. But before that, I do have a message from my show sponsors. So first up today, we have the amazing BlockFi. Yes, the future of Bitcoin and financial services. And with the announcement of their Bitcoin rewards credit card coming later this year, 2020 is going to be huge for BlockFi. I've told Zach, their CEO, to get me my credit card as soon as possible. I want to be earning stats back on my purchases. I cannot wait to get this. They've also got a mobile app coming and they've just raised another huge round to support their growth. Amazing year for them last year and I think they're going to have another banging year this year. And this is all on top of their already market-leading crypto-backed loans and their interest accounts for your Bitcoin, Ether or GUSD, which I am a customer of. And as the month comes to a close, I always look forward to checking out my interest to see how much new Bitcoin I've made. So yes, 2020 is going to be massive for BlockFi. I love working with them. But if you are interested in checking them out, if you want to find out more about BlockFi, please do your own research and then head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. And also, we have the mighty, mighty Kraken, the best place to buy, sell, and trade Bitcoin, the only place I use to buy and sell Bitcoin, consistently rated the best and most secure cryptocurrency exchange. And with all the hacks that are happening, why would you trust any other exchange apart from Kraken? Whatever your level of experience, Kraken has designed and built a streamlined Bitcoin exchange for newcomers and experts alike. They provide world-class financial stability by maintaining full reserves, healthy banking relationships, and have the highest standards of legal compliance. They pair their 24-7, 365 live chat with an extensive support center to help ensure your questions are answered and your needs are met around the clock, no matter who you are or where you are. And with Kraken Pro, their beautiful mobile first app, you can trade Bitcoin wherever you are. There is no better place to trade Bitcoin. And if you want to find out more, head over to Kraken.com or download the app, which is available for the iPhone and Android. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. Okay, so onto the show. And a few weeks ago, I headed out to South America. And originally, the first place or the main place I wanted to go to was Santiago, Chile. There were daily protests and I wanted to go and check it out. I wanted to find out a bit more what is going on in Santiago, Chile, what's going on in Venezuela, what's going on in Colombia. But my first destination was Chile itself, which is currently in the midst of a social and political crisis. There are widespread daily violent protests against inequality and classism in Chile, and I just wanted to see it for myself. I wanted to do a bit of filming and just wanted to get a couple of interviews together. While I was there, Guillermo reached out to me. He saw on Twitter that I was there and offered to show me around and help translate. So after we spent a day together, I asked him to come on the show. I knew I had to record with him, especially as he is running the biggest exchange there. So Guillermo is the co-founder and CEO of Chile's biggest Bitcoin exchange, Buda, which also operates in Colombia, Argentina and Peru. And in this episode, we get into the causes of the political unrest in Chile. If the widespread protests are effective, the difficulties of running a Bitcoin business in South America, and we do also cover Bitcoin's carbon footprint as Buddha is launching an initiative to allow users of its exchange to buy carbon neutral Bitcoin. 
It's a great episode, and I do really appreciate Guillermo for his time and for showing me around the cities. And if you've got any questions about this show or any feedback, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Also, just a note, I happen to consider my travel right now because of the spread of the coronavirus really annoying, but I should be heading out to Bitcoin 2020, but this may change should circumstances change. So I'll be keeping an eye on the travel warnings relating to that. If everything is clear, I will be out in San Francisco for that event. I was also meant to be traveling out to Africa in April, and it's the same. I'm going to have to be looking at travel advice, so I will keep you updated. Also, please keep an eye out on Defiance, my other show, my other podcast. I will be launching a bunch of mini documentaries I was making throughout South America, just short 5-10 minute documentaries about my experience in Colombia, Venezuela, Santiago in Chile and El Salvador. They will be going up on YouTube soon and I will be posting that up on my Twitter so do keep an eye out for that. As ever you can get in touch, my email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com and if you reach out I usually reply to pretty much anyone as long as you don't send me any nonsense. Okay, have a great weekend and I hope to speak to you soon. So. You pronounce it for me again. <laughs> Guillermo, originally. Guillermo in Spanish. Guillermo. And uh, so I'm going to go with... Guille. Guille. Okay, yeah, it's Guille. the... All right. So... Easy way. Well, thank you for having me here. Oh, it's a pleasure, man. Impromptu interview. And uh, it's great to be here in your city, Santiago. Yeah. We had a really, really good time. Short. Hopefully I'll come back. But um, yeah, so I think... I've done a couple of these on location podcasts, and I want to do it more, actually. I, I want to get around the world and go to all the different places that have got Bitcoin and you know find out about it. But I always think it's good to have the kind of political, economic, and cultural context. And the reason I came out here was because I wanted to find out more about the protests. Yeah. So I think we should probably start with a little bit of a history lesson. But let's start now. Let's Let's... You know, we talked yesterday. Let's talk about the protests and why they're happening. Because I know by asking you that question, you're going to give me a short history. <laughs> so it, I would say that it all began 40 years ago when the when Allende, who was a communist um, president, elected um, democratically, got into power, and his government. I mean, the country was in a very bad shape after only three years of government. In great part because it seems like uh, socialist and communist mechanisms don't work as well as they would like at least. And in part because the, 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 the bigger powers of the world actually did a lot of effort for this system, for these communist countries in Latin America to not work, right? And, and I mean the, the US and, and all that. So anyway, three years after, after Allende's beginning of the of, of the presidency, the country was in extremely bad shape and the military coup happened, right? And the military coup was very tough. I mean the the, the whole dictatorship that lasted for what, like twenty years? Like from seventy three, eighty three, almost like nineteen years. Pinochet's Yeah, Pinochet, yeah. exactly. Pinochet. So that was very tough on, on human rights. It was very, very tough on liberty. You would have, I mean, for long, long years, yeah, people w couldn't go out of the street after it was like ten o'clock at night. I don't mean, I don't mean like a couple of weeks, right? I mean like years. So a whole generation had to actually um, go to parties that would last the whole night, which is a good thing yeah. and a bad thing. I mean, 
So, so it was very tough on the on the social, more humanist. Is this part. because there was it was too dangerous late at night, or because there was a lockdown on the streets? So I would say that the communist uh, movement in Latin America was super big. So the 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 force, the strength of of this movement, didn't disappear with the with the coup. Right. It remained. So and they were army people. So very strict. Actually, the, the Chilean army is well known in Latin America for, for being pretty tough. So, so they applied all this military and all this army discipline to society. And the best way they found it was to... And again, it was, it was a way, their way to fight this, this movement. So that happened. But, but the other side of, the, of this 20, almost 20 years of dictatorship was that Pinochet, what, what he did was, he, he wasn't an economist, he was a general. Um, and he started listening to the Chicago Boys, which were economists, mostly Chilean economists that had been to the Chicago uh, University. And they applied pretty much all what they couldn't apply in the United States, everything that they, they had in theory that would work a lot, they applied it to Chile. And in some ways, it worked incredibly, incredibly well. So they privatized pretty much everything. Like only certain things remain, remain from the state, state-owned. But they, they privatized pretty much every single thing. And in, in many, many ways, the economy went up. In most of the ways, the economy went up super quickly, super amazingly, sort of like what happened in China, right? Mm-hmm. But there was... Well, it's also sort of a dictatorship. You could, you could argue that, but, but in, in Chile it wasn't a dictatorship. So nobody could actually not agree with what was being said and done. So we, we came, so, so there was, the economy grew a lot and poverty went down a lot and all this metadata was actually doing great. But fast forward, 2015, 2014, we started seeing trouble as a society because of mainly because of debt and because of inequality in terms of wealth. Which party was in power then? When? In 2014-15. So all right, so so the the military coup ended in in 20 I mean in 1990. Yeah. And the then a president from the left side took power. And but then, they, they, it wasn't a far left, right? A center left party. Exactly, more center. Uh, somebody said to me it was a bit like Tony Blair's government in the UK. I, I'm, I'm not sure what, what his policies were, but 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 you're right. Yeah. I mean, the general wouldn't. He he wasn't going to give up the, the power to a super left, right? So yeah. for super lefty, so he gave it to a to a to a president that actually won through through votes. And what happened after was that Pinochet gave the country to democracy, to people again, and he built a, a, a constitution. And this constitution wasn't changed at all in the next 20 years. And every single president after those 20 years was from the left side. Only Piñera was, I mean, he got to power like uh, for the first time like 10 years ago. Okay. Uh, he didn't do anything also to restructure this, right? But, but in 2014, the economy was doing super well and pretty much every single metric that the country or the, the economists were worried about were doing, were doing well. So our inflation rate, it's always between 2 and 4%. The Chilean peso is pretty stable. We're growing uh, 
fairly stable and we're always growing. So um, and what happened is that people started um, yelling. So people started getting into great debts and they weren't able to pay for education and they were coming out of school, um, from, from high school with, with debt, and they were going into um, university or college and were getting into greater debt, and you had the same problem with food. I mean, you were actually using your credit card to buy food, and then you were using your credit card and your debt to, to pay for health. The health system is really bad. So things started getting bad like five, six years ago, but nobody wanted to really realize this until three months ago, October, when it was a very small thing. So, so the price of the, the, sub- metro the, yeah, yeah. the, the, the price of the, st- the subway station went up for like 10 pesos. But, but before we tackle that, because that was the trigger. Yeah, that was the trigger. But you say there's been a, like a, a buildup of discontent, there's been you know, a buildup of debt. You know, how does it work? You know, is this people on the streets talking? Is this commentary on TV? Is this opposition politicians raising the issue? Like, how would you get a feel for the discontent? So it's mainly people on the streets. Okay. So five years ago, it, was, it, was, it were the, the students that were actually in high school. They were called the penguins because in, we use uniforms in Chile, which are black and white. Right. Okay. And so it was the penguin movement. It was huge, like massive. Like today we have Congress, uh, congresswomen and congressmen that were actually students from, from, that, from that time. So it has always been from the people, not even from, the, from, from people in Congress and people from politicians. Politicians aren't doing anything. And the other, the other super, the, the other thing that is making people extremely angry is that inequality is growing and you see big differences in treatment for poor people and for richer people, which has always been like that in South America. There's no doubt about it. But now you can, now we know it, right? Because of corruption? Because of corruption, but even, but like built-in corruption. It's not like they're, okay. be, they're not even breaking the law. Right, systemic. It's, yeah. For, for instance, for, uh, there were these two very famous um, businessmen. They own a bank, Pentabank, and they laundered uh, $30 million. right. And they were given, they were in, they were they were in jail in their in their mansions, of course, for like a couple of months. And they were given like a couple of months of ethic classes. They had to go to university and they had to go take ethic classes. Sounds tough. Sounds very tough, man. Yeah, very, tough. <laughs> very tough. They were they were they were humiliated. So, but but on the other side, like this guy a couple of weeks ago was was given five years because he faked. Uh, $7, the equivalent of a $7 bill. And, and that's known, I mean, and that's being known. So people are like, like they, they're not, they're not willing to, to, to give their lives for this system. Right. And is there a clear divide in the city in that the, the wealthy and the elites uh, live in one area and stay in one area and don't mix? Or do people still generally mix? <laughs> no, Chile is the most segregated country that you can imagine. I okay. mean, the difference between um, parts of the city where the, the rich people live and the poor people live, it's, it's, it's super well marked. Again, even for Latin American um, standards. It's very, it's very clear when you're moving from one side to the other. But the, the interesting thing is that when the movement started, for when the trigger happened, right? So the, the the metro station, the metro subway, the price went up for like ten pesos, and people were extremely mad, like extreme. It was ten pesos out of seven hundred, right? So it was a very small. It was like one point five percent, but people were out of their heads, 
of anger. And so the minister, or the, uh, how do you say that, the vice president of transport, mm -hmm. he went out and said, well, ladies and gentlemen, you can actually start waking up earlier because, <coughs> because that's the way that your price, that, like, the ticket price will be lower. And that was it. Actually, that was the trigger. It was the fact because that... that's an insult. Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's an insult. Like the, the, average, the average transport time in, in Santiago is like an hour and a half in the morning and then an hour and a half in the afternoon. So people are working nine hours, 10 hours plus, plus lunch, plus three hours of transport. And they're, and they're like getting debt to buy tickets. So. Three hours of transport because they can only afford to live outside the city, but the jobs are in the city. Yeah, exactly. So it's yeah, almost like they they are they are spending all that time on the public transport, which I've heard isn't great. Also, no, <laughs> and they're coming into probably I, I guess some of them in their minds see service the rich and the elite who live here in the city, and yeah, and, and yeah, exactly. feels like another tax on them. Oh, of course, and and that's that's exactly what I mean with inequality. So inequality yeah. is not bad per se, but it is bad when your conditions are bad, right? Mm -hmm. So if we're all living in a w good standard, but there's someone that is, I don't know, a thousand times richer than me, all right, I can, I can, I can, I can understand that. So it wasn't really but, the 10 peso change. It was more the signal that, again, this is another, it's another cost rise for the poor. It's another cost rise for the poor and in a context where the poor are fed up with politicians saying that are working for them and actually and transparently not doing anything. So. And one of the really interesting things here with this is that, the you know, which I've discovered, there isn't, this isn't a left or a right thing and this isn't without... This isn't being directed to any specific no. political party. This is something that's been building up through different parties, both centre left and centre right. Yeah, this is this is a, a, a some people call it a brainless uh, movement, right? Because there is no there there is no leader. I mean, it doesn't it, with the brainless. It doesn't mean that it's not smart. It means that there actually there's no central node actually uh, coordinating this. So so people like it exploded one day and 10 days later there was the biggest the biggest manifestation in chile with 1.5 million people in plaza plaza italia the newly named plaza dignidad in the center of santiago which is a very iconic plaza um like um how do you say plaza uh, yeah center, well, the center yeah a million a million and a half people that that's that's a huge amount for any standard even more for for chile which we have like 7 like 17 million so 10% of the population was was in one spot demanding change and and, and was super super i mean you had the whole spectrum there what's well, how much of a middle class do you have in Santiago and Chile. Uh, I'm not sure about the about the number, but the middle class is being squished. Yeah. So, so the lower class has uh, a lot of help from the state, from from the government, and then the upper class, it's it's comfortably. I mean, it's living comfortably in, in Chile. But, but is there any support from people in the upper class to this though? To the middle class? No, to the support of the the people who are protesting. Uh, there were there were part of the the upper class there. I okay, mean, so I this mean, is. This I'm, is... I, I'm consider. I consider myself. Of course, I, I have to consider myself part of the of the upper class, and I was there. I, I, okay. I'm I'm happy with this. I mean, I'm happy with people waking up. Which I'm not super happy is that I think that they're pointing their anger to the wrong person. But that's another story. The, the problem is that once the, the problem is this. The the Chilean system wasn't that bad. The Chilean system was good. I mean, we had we picked KPIs, and the KPIs, the metrics, were actually growing well. And that's good. I mean, we were doing well. The thing is that we weren't worrying for the people. 
And so the problem is that once the people get angrily, angry enough, they don't reason. Mm -hmm. And that's what's happening today. So we went to the other side. Now Chile, it's under, I would say, the influence of Antifas who are becoming extremely, extremely aggressive who are burning and, and destroying infrastructure, which is affecting mostly um, people who are not to blame. And, and it's, like, it's like you're seeing a kid that has been treated very unfairly and who's so mad that it's hitting and kicking absolutely everything and everyone and its surrounding, and, and you can't stop it. But this general discontent from is something I'm seeing everywhere I go. It doesn't matter whether I'm in London or I'm here. You know, I went out and watched the protests on uh, what day did I arrive? I'm trying to remember. Was it Monday? Yeah, Monday I arrived, and I was surprised at. I would say the average age was probably like 18 to 20 years old. Yeah. And very young people. More um, energetic uh, and yeah. more... Um, and excited, probably. Excited, some of them yeah. find it exciting and some of them are angry. And, you know, most of us, well, a lot of us when we were young and in our 20s, we hated, you know, we thought society was unfair and we hated the government. No, we all went through that. A yeah. lot of us, well, yeah. not all of us, but you know what I mean. Yeah, of course. No, I, I understand that. but But at the same time... Have they, have they pushed? Have they stolen the protest and pushed it with a different agenda, yes. which is, and it's yes. lost meaning? Yes, yes, it, it, that, it's happening. That's happening, and what is super sad is that what what started with a legitimate purpose, it's losing support. Like a lot of people are getting are, are getting scared. Are saying, "Look, I, I don't want Venezuela." Look, okay. I was I, I agreed with you. I don't agree with you anymore. And that's super sad, again, because the system is broken. Mm -hmm. I'm not kidding. I mean, I, I, I am part of, the, of the, uh, the portion of the population that, that has the advantages. And I see that it's not fair. So, so it's very sad that a minority that is aggressive enough is, for instance, for instance, they're going to the houses of court members and they're um, saying that they're going to kill them and their families if they don't do this or they don't do that in court with the cases that the Antifas are, are um, considering, I don't know, relevant. Which makes it all unproductive. Extremely unproductive. Yeah, it makes it all unproductive. There is a second layer to this. So somebody else I met the other day said there is a second layer to this relating to the pensions and wanting a pension reform. Can you explain that side to me? Yeah, so, so the pension reform, the, the pension is one of the things that has... Um, people more concerned. So we had the, the same 20, like, 30 years ago, we had the same system that pretty much every single country where the working population paid for the pensions of the people that actually um, stopped working. And there was this um, Jose Piñera, who's actually the brother of today's president, who sort of invented a new system where you would have saved from your pocket, from your salary every month. So when you... Private pension. Well, yeah, private pension. He, he, he invented it and, he, and Chile exported it to, to every single country. The thing, the thing is that we went from, from the old system to the new system and we didn't... So everyone started saving and, people, and some people 
started saving when they were 40. Some people started saving when they were 50 because because of the because how civilization works. Yeah. Some people that used to not need to work now they needed to work, and they're now getting 100, 150 bucks of salary in a country where you can't live with less than than five or six hundred. Hold on, just a couple of questions. What's the general retirement age? In Chile, what? 65 for men, 60 for women. Okay, yeah, it's similar to the UK. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I think, yeah. no, I think we've made ours the same, though. I think it's the same age. I think it's both 65 now. But I can't remember exactly, but I think it is. Okay, and the state pension, what did that used to be? I'm not sure what it used to be, but today, today people... I mean, there, there's a fairly large amount of the population that are getting 150 bucks or 160 bucks um, a month. From the state? From what they saved, so yeah. this sort of mixed because, um, because if they, fund. Because if you're 60 years old when they changed the the pensions, yeah. So so the transition, so, yeah. So the transition wasn't perfect. So so what happened is that the pension system, our pension system, for the person that is saving, is functioning incredibly well. Yeah. So they, they're using the money fairly. They the money is renting. And they're not stealing money. It's super, it's incredibly uh, supervised by the government. Mm -hmm. So that's working well. The thing is that we went completely private and we didn't take into account that there were people that was going to start um, turning 65, like 10 years ago, and they, were go they, they weren't going to have money. Yeah. And these people have to pay for their kids' um, schools or their grandkids' schools. And... So today we're risking, for instance, one of the one of the bad things of having this extremely extreme movement is that people want to go back to the old system, which doesn't make sense because because the pyramid it's it's inverting. I mean, mm -hmm. there's less people working than people um, retired. So so it got it all went mad. Okay. Uh, Okay, it's so that's that's so that's that's part of the protest as well because it's 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 all kind of connected, but but there are separate issues, right? There are separate issues. People are not clear on what issue they're mad at. Pretty much everything. So and they're mixing everything, which makes this very difficult to to maneuver. What has the government response been so far? Oh, the yeah, worst. They, they've not done anything. I no, mean, no, 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 no. I think I think this is the first time. That in Chile we have like 99% agreement on something, and is that the government has been the most inefficient and inadequate government that we could have. So they're trying, they're trying to save their, I'm sorry for the expression, but they're Let's trying to save it. their asses. And yeah, so I say uh, much worse than that. Ah, uh, cool, <laughs> excellent. So yeah, they're, they're trying to save their asses. They, they're being narcissistic they're they're trying to save their image and, and for that they can't do anything so they can't be too extreme with the cops because another thing is that people are very very mad at the cops because the cops are attacking the problem in the wrong way they're like they're using tear gas pretty much for every single thing like yeah. the whole city is covered with tear gas it's super annoying well so again i watched that the other day so i got tear gas for my first time yeah as an amateur <laughs> how was that uh, yeah not nice so as an amateur <laughs> journalist <laughs> trying to learn my uh skin in the game this is this is my um this is my first experience of like on location how journalism. was it how was it um it's exciting scary and super interesting but you can you know, I've interviewed this guy called Jake Hanrahan, who's a proper journalist. He used to work for Vice. He's got mm -hmm. a great podcast. And he said, you can 
never really understand things unless you're on the ground and you see it for yourself. You just can't. You can't understand it from the TV. You have to go and experience it. And I get what he meant on two levels. Firstly, understanding at a local level what's going on because you have to speak to a bunch of people. But also understanding the experience of what it's like to be there, which can be about being anywhere. But there's a, a few things I observed. Firstly, the cat and mouse between the police and the protesters seems utterly pointless. It seems to be... I just, like... <laughs> you only have to watch it once to realise this doesn't work. You know, so... What was really interesting was how organised the protesters were. Yeah. You had the front line. You had the spotters on the different street corners. But I found most interesting was the traffic management. You had the oh, people. yeah, it's amazing. That was unbelievable. <laughs> so watching them uh, manage the traffic was incredible. But anyway, so I just stood and observed. I didn't film anything. And then I watched the police water cannons come out. They're also firing the tear gas, but the water cannons in the tear gas. And everyone disperses and runs off. And then everyone congregates and the same happens again. So it's just just a game of cat and mouse. You can't it, they can't defeat it with water cannons. And, and the sad thing is that now we're in that we're in that spot where, does, where nothing makes sense. But in the beginning, um, the front line, which are which are these people that are, are literally on the front line of the protest, and they're actually fighting with stones uh, against the cops. So they they be, they became extremely important because the cops wouldn't allow anybody to protest. So they, they were critical. But now that they were critical and they became sort of heroes, now they're doing things that you could argue if they're actually <laughs> make, making any purpose. So, yeah, the cops are shooting. Like We have like 300 people or 400 people that have lost an eye or both eyes because, of the, because the cops are shooting, how do you call these? Rubber bullets. Yeah, but, bullets. On, but, but on the face instead of, of, instead of uh, shooting on, their, on the okay. feet. Okay. So, you no, know, it's, it's getting bad. So, so people are getting pissed off of the police and, and the police are super scared and the police and the government, oh, it's, it's, a, it's a huge chaos. And, and the thing is, it's one of those situations where you observe you can see that it's just going to be an escalation of violence, no. which is going to end with some you know, tragic... Well, you've already had tra tragic oh, events. Yeah. I mean, I saw the other day about the bus being hijacked and one protester running over another protester. Yeah, we've had like, I don't know the number. I'm, I'm, I number stopped of deaths, counting, sorry. but like 30? 30 deaths. Be because of this, right? So because of protests, because of confrontation between between protesters and, and the cops and uh, cops running on, like crashing on with the cars on the protesters... Cops that are not using uniform, like uh, it's, yeah, it's sad. It's sad, but on on some part of me, on the on the crypto side of me, the more revolutionary side, I'm also happy because there, there's no clean clean revolution. But yeah. you need to get mad at at some point. And uh, you said something. You said something. So 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 you said some. You said that this was happening in in many countries, right? Yeah, all over the world. But yeah, but in Chile, we never said anything. So it was this kid. It's like it's like Columbine. It's this kid that never said anything. Never said anything, and he got so mad, so mad, that he killed everything. And that's part of our culture part of how we are as Chileans it, it makes I mean it could be explained because because of the colonialism but anyway we have to wake up so hopefully I, I'm, I, I'm still pretty optimistic with Chile I, I hope that, that that things come out well okay well that's a useful context 
and probably a good starting point to, to move over <laughs> and start talking about a bit of Bitcoin and a bit of crypto. Yeah. I, but I do want to just, just focus on one point you said there, because, you know, as a, as a Bitcoin person, you know, you like the revolution, you like the fact that people are fighting back. That is good. And I, I understand that. It becomes a bit kind of murky and complicated because there is certainly a very significant uh, and large group of Bitcoiners who ha- hold very kind of libertarian ideals. Yeah. Or perhaps maybe even, let's say, more conservative. It, you know, it's a range from conservative to yeah. libertarian ideals. Yeah. It, less so on the socialist side. Oh, understandably, understandably so. Yet in some ways, these protests are are almost socialist protests in some ways. Because these are people who are looking for the government because they want a better answer. So I'm not... And this is where it gets complicated. Yeah, I'm not sure I agree with you. So okay. I mean, no, no, I totally agree with you that with the, with the spectrum of the libertarianism in the in the crypto world, but I, I I don't agree with that this has to be a socialist movement. Oh, I'm not saying it's not saying it has to be. I'm saying what it is is that the the protests appear to be socialists. The, the, those are the those are the antifas that are yeah. yelling the, the the loudest, right? But but you can argue that we had open markets when when the Chilean banking system or industry has had like um, record profits for thirty years. Like Santander, Santander is this huge banking um, corporation uh-huh. that is in pretty much every single Latin country. Like Chile is the best, the most profitable country they have. And that has been so for like 20 years. So there's no, there's no competition here. So it's not like we have an open market in the, in the, in the banking industry. And, and you could say the same thing for several industries. And you could say the same thing for, for, for drug stores. So and how do, you, how do you call when corporations get together by secret and, and agree uh, on pricing oh, for um, stuff like that? Yeah, um, price fixing. Yeah, um, price fixing. We, we had some scandals, like many scandals in the last uh, five years, um, from pale- toilet paper to chicken to banking, to um, drugstores, which are affecting 90% of the population. So that's not an open market. So okay. that, that's, you don't need to be a libertarian to say, hey, come on, I mean, this, is, this is not working. This is not fair. Uh, yeah, so I mean, th- that's why, that's why I, I don't necessarily agree with this, with this being necessarily a socialist movement. Which doesn't mean that I, I don't agree with some socialist um, um, aspects of it, but well, it's a really it's an interesting topic to get into because, especially you know, coming from South America, you know, we talked about this yesterday, and I'm not sure I'm 100 percent right, but I just, I, you know, from my experience of looking at South America, uh, visiting here, doing a lot of research, it certainly if is, you know, socialism seems to have existed historically within yeah. Latin America, you know. And it's that spectrum from socialism through up to full communism. You know, yeah. we have we talked about Cuba yesterday. We've talked about Venezuela. You know, and where and also where socialism becomes you know hijacked by dictators. You know, we talked we talked to that. But there seems to be a history of socialism in uh, South America. But when you get in the world of Bitcoin, it's any form of socialism is evil. You know, I've had debates with people where. There shouldn't be free school in health. There should be no government. Everything should be free trade. And if you question or challenge any of that, the response back usually is, well, you're a statist or you're an enemy of freedom and they try and yeah. prove the economics. Yeah. And sorry, sorry, just... And, and, and I 
fully understand the arguments. I fully get it. And I, and I appreciate a lot of it. And I throw myself in it. But I also sometimes think I can't see a world adjusting to that world and it not becoming chaotic and anarchist. That's one of the things I just can't fully get myself there. Do you understand what I mean? I do. I do. Oh, I have so many things to say uh, cool. regarding that. we got time. <laughs> so we can get philosophical and we can go all the way to free will. I mean, if we don't, we're not born equal. We don't have the same opportunities. Um, if, if, we, we, if we were equal and we were 100% uh, conscious of our, of our acts and then the consequence of our acts, then you could argue that um, then you had to take responsibility for, for your actions. But we're, th the fact is that we are not. For instance, why are pensions necessarily uh, necessary to be um, um, obligated or imposed? It's because our incapacity to value future benefit or future uh, well-being, personal well-being, as much as we value it today. So if we don't impose uh, pensions, what is going to happen is that we're not going to save money because we want to use that money today. And we're going to come to this age, to any age, where we won't be able to work. And we, if we can't work, we can't live. And so if that happens, like the whole society will come eventually to that part, to, to that point. And when you have a million people that are 70 years old, don't have any money, and are living on the street, begging for a coin, they're not going to say, all right, I take responsibility for not saving. Mm -hmm. I will fucking get my hands on you because you have money because I want to save my life, because I want to eat, because I need to eat. So... This, because so so the government, in that sense, needs to act as a as a knowledge as a knowledge uh, database mm -hmm. and needs to recognize that we have a bug in our code in our coding system. We have a bug, and that bug is not allowing us to um, to save money for our future unless someone imposes it. So that's one example why we need someone imposing us to save money. Otherwise, we will have enough people to destroy our system because they truly will need to survive and they won't be able to just say, all right, I didn't save money, so I will starve. No, that's not going to happen. So you can, you can view it from that side. Or you can view it from another, from another point of view, which is incentives. So nobody's, nobody's born good. Nobody's born bad. Nobody's born from right wing. Nobody's born left wing. So... I, I, I strongly believe in human incentives. And if you see a country or, or a population that, it, that leans towards socialism, you can argue that it's because of education and maybe that's the only explanation, I could be. Or you can actually also ask yourself if there are situations or conditions in the context and in the surroundings of people that are pushing them towards socialism. And that's what I think that is, has happened in Latin America for the past 200 years since we are countries. Plutocrats have always been like disproportionately powerful. So it's like what happened in Russia with the Tsars and the Russian Revolution. You can, exp I mean, communism is not good, but we learned after trial and error that it's not good. But you can explain why people were so mad. You can, you can actually, I mean, it would be very unfair for us in 2019, um, 20, and, and the comfort of our salaries and, and our comfortable living to say that they were all stupid. 
that they were all mad, that they were all evil. So, so it's complicated. I think it's it's at least complicated. Yeah, that's the that's the point I've always come to. I, I don't think there's a binary answer. I do think it's complicated. You know, I f- I really appreciate some of the libertarian ideals, mm. and and the arguments make absolute sense. But when I try and uh, try and imagine a scenario how this actually works out, how it actually plays out, I don't think it's that simple. You know, if we had say no government, a situation of no government, us having free trade between ourselves, I understand that. But you know, if we didn't have that. I do think there is a potential for a breakdown in society whereby, you know, there's the people who won't have anything. And, you know, we know in any example where there is a breakdown in society that, you know, people will resort to violence and crime. You know, we, we know that's happening in Venezuela. We know people are being shot or, 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 or attacked or, or being stolen from. And, you know, so I can't ever picture, will that be a better world? Yes, it would be better in terms of freedom and liberty. I fundamentally understand that. But will it be a nicer and safer world? I'm not convinced. And I'm not convinced whether it's because we're so conditioned to this current structure of society where we we have a state, or it's just because, you know, we we don't fully appreciate, uh, you know, how humans will react and behave. But I do support the idea of smaller government, less government. I do support the idea of weaning ourselves off government. So, you know, if we move from a state pension to a, a private pension, you know, and we wean ourselves off that and, and we teach people, this is how you save, this is personal responsibility. I totally buy that. But but I just think, I think a lot of this stuff needs to be thought through in a lot more detail because, you know, we're talking about countries with millions, tens of millions of people. To suddenly move to a situation where, you know, it's all personal responsibility, we all sit at home with our gun and protect ourselves and we have free trade between each other, I'm not sure if that's a nicer world. It might be mean we've got rid of the, the bullshit government, but it might mean a, I don't know, a more dangerous world. I just don't know. So so there is a, I, I, you're right. I, I also don't know, but but I, I feel there's a continuum where, where one side is you have zero government and then you have people like, doing whatever they 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 feel is fair when they get robbed when they get um and there's then the other extreme where it's communism where where the government is actually doing the work through the people that employ with the money well so which i think is worse obviously oh, i'm not even sure it's worse i mean they're both we're both inviolable i mean we, there's a reason why we're here in somewhere in between so i i true i true and profoundly believe in a smaller government. Um, I truly believe in government regulating the private sector, but doing it well, like truly doing it transparently and, and efficiently, and not doing the actual work. So I don't, I don't, I don't believe that the government should be hiring people to do the the pensions, to the, the pension job. But well, it depends what they regulate as well, because again. You know, I've listened to a lot of podcasts by Tom Woods. He's a big libertarian. And, you know, they in there they cover lots of scenarios with regards to, you know, centralized regulation of private enterprises. And, you know, I've heard some very good arguments for why it doesn't work. But at the same time, I would have concerns, maybe similar to you. You know, one of the ones I discussed recently was with uh, another... Uh, another uh, libertarian, where we talked about, I was talking about what happened with Uber in India, where Uber could go in with, you know, with so much money, they were able to offer loans to people 
to buy cars and then with those cars they could start you know driving people around but so many people joined uber that the prices they were getting for their um, for their journeys was dropping and then they couldn't afford to pay off the cars and then people ended up committing suicide and you know this is well documented this um, my friend jamie bartlett i think covered it in his documentary the secrets of silicon valley and that was a very abusive situation and that was fueled by silicon valley debt they were able to do that and they were able to go in and like vultures you know take over um the private taxi air uh, things i think it was in mumbai and what i worry about is is that corporate greed will always exist how do you regulate it in a way which isn't too intrusive do you, do you understand what i'm of coming course from? i do and i think that's the big question so um Going back to Bitcoin, I, I don't feel inf- oh yeah, Bitcoin. I don't feel inflation. It's a it's a tax. They should have power to 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 put on on people. But I have the feel the feeling that every single company and I'll get stoned for this, saying this yeah. in Chile. But I I I, 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 tr- I strongly believe that every single company should move towards being fully owned by its employees. In, in the in the long term, in the long term, because they are. That is very controversial. I mean, that's a very socialist idea. I don't know. I don't know if socialist. I'm not saying that the government should do it. I, I think that society should should. I mean, it's it's sort of being done today in Silicon Valley. So stock options are the best way to keep to keep employees. So my problem with, with so you so you're really referring to as an individual owns a business. Yes. Should should have the. Yeah, has a you know, so it's personal choice. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what's the mechanism, but yeah. I think that companies should tend to be in the in the in the long run should tend to be owned by the by the by the node that actually produces the value, because and and this came this comes from many hours of thinking of how to distribute without having the state to manually and arbitrarily um, say, I'm going to put a tax on you. Or I'm going to tax your your wealth or or your your production because that that's that doesn't feel organic. What it feels organic is that wealth starts. There, there has to be a mechanism where where wealth gets distributed in a better way than having uh, one person or one group of people in the government saying, "All right, now twenty percent." Or now twenty five percent, or now thirty percent, until you find that point. And when you found the point, the, the society changes so much that then thirty percent is not is not the right number. So, so I, I'm not. Sh- so I don't think the government should get there. But I, what I what I'm trying to say is that we need to find a way as a society to to start transferring value or wealth in a more organic, a more natural way. I can see you're wrestling with it. You don't know the answer, but you no. it's in your head. And I guess it's because you are seeing wealth inequality and you're recognizing it. Now, you know, a lot of people say, look, this is just the way it is. You know, billion, you know, this isn't the fault of billionaires. And I understand all of that. You know, they reinvest. I accept, accept all that. But it doesn't change the fact that you're just recognizing wealth inequality, which is probably down to a number of problems globally you know the different protests that we've been seeing over the last year globally usually it comes down to people some form of discontent usually because of some form of you know inequality with regards to wealth distribution yeah of course yeah yeah and it's see it's being seen everywhere 
Next up, I talk to Guillermo more about Bitcoin in Chile, and we also talk about Buddha's scheme to buy carbon-neutral Bitcoin. But before that, I've got a message from my show sponsors. And first up, we have CypherSafe. I've been talking about these for most of the month now. Their sponsorship's about to come to the end, so do go and check them out. Do give them a boost. Go and check out their website. See what they're doing. They've also given me three of their devices to do a giveaway, which I'm going to do next week. I'm going to post it up on Twitter, a chance for you to win one of their Cypher wheels. So if you want a really cool way to break up your private keys, then their newly released Cypher wheel is definitely worth checking out. They sent me an extra one. I've set mine up. I've used it. It's super easy, and it is a very cool and secure way of securing your private keys. It is machined from solid stainless steel and not any stainless steel. No, no, no. They are using 303 stainless. If you don't know what that means, I don't either, but I know it's something they did following one of Jameson Lopp's famous tests, so it must be some pretty badass shit. Now, the cipher wheel is designed to be physically stored with a padlock and comes with a tamper evidence seal, so you can see if anyone has made an attempt to steal your seed words. I know you are taking your Bitcoin security seriously, now you should go the extra step. You need a device to protect you from physical disaster and the Cypher will, well, it's pretty damn cool. So if you want to find out more, head over to cyphersafe.io, which is C-Y-P-H-E-R-S-A-F-E.io, and you can purchase your Cypher wheel today. Also, next up, we have Cointracker. And as I said in my last show, I've got a bit of flack about having them as a sponsor. I've had some people write to me and a guy up on Reddit say, what are you doing supporting tax? Now listen, look, I agree. I think the government taxes us too much. I really don't think we should be taxed at all. I would love to not pay tax, but the reality is we have to. And if you don't pay your tax, you are at risk of the government coming after you. So look, it's your choice. You want to pay your tax, pay your tax. You don't want to pay your tax, don't pay your tax. I pay mine because I don't want to get any shit from the government. And also, the government is now starting to subpoena exchanges for information so they can come after you. Interestingly, I was talking to Chandon, their CEO, about this, and he's got some stories about this, so I think I'm going to get him on the show. I don't support tax, but I do support people who want to pay their tax. If you don't want to get into trouble, then Cointracker is a great way of calculating them. I calculated my taxes this year using Cointracker. It was so easy. I just uploaded my wallets, uploaded my exchanges, and bang, within a couple of minutes, it had calculated my tax. And filings for these work in the US, UK, Canada, and Australia. And if you have under 200 transactions, then you can use the tool for free. If you can't, if you've got a whole bunch of transactions, well, you can get a 10% discount. Just use the link cointracker.io forward slash A forward slash WBD. And that is Cointracker.io, which is C-O-I-N-T-R-A-C-K-E-R.io. And lastly, just a massive shout out to Travel by Bit. They sponsored my trip to South America. They sponsored me to go out to make the show in Santiago, Chile. They are a travel website where you can book flights and hotels using your Bitcoin. And they also offer up to 10% sats back. And historically, I've always used Expedia and Momondo to compare prices for all my flights because I fly so often. And I'm now adding Travel by Bit into the mix because on some of the routes, they were cheaper than both of those. So if you want to find out more, head over to travelbybit.com, which is T-R-A-V-E-L-B-Y-B-I-T.com. Let's talk about Bitcoin. Come on, that's what we're here for. And we've done a good 45 minutes without getting into it. Can you give me give me the backstory for Bitcoin for you? Because you know, I only met you yesterday and I, you know, I'm here at your exchange, the biggest exchange in Chile. So yeah. thank you for having me here. Tell me your background uh, into Bitcoin. So I, I, used, to, I used to have a, another company 
and the day it didn't work out and the day it didn't work out i mean the day i decided to shut it down literally i closed my my laptop and i reopened i mean reopened it because i didn't have anything to do it was like 11 o'clock in the morning i talked to a friend on facebook he was on he was online i said what are you up to he was the only guy online everyone else was working and he said i was i'm mining monero i was like what's that i know it was it was well whatever it was it was an altcoin and i was like what's that he said well come here and i'll show you and so he 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 taught me everything about bitcoin my mind exploded i studied business a couple of years i studied economics and it Every single question that I would make to my friend um, with paradigms I had in my in my head, he would like crush them, and of course not him, but the, but the, the protocol, the, the the system, and it, and it was this was early 2014. It had been up and running for four years, and it was doing super well. I just fell in love. So the same day that I, I shut down a company, I decided to open a Buddha, and I that did. Day. The same day. You're like, I've, you realize I've got to do an exchange. Yeah, no, my, my girlfriend broke up with me like two weeks later. <laughs> well, that, that's the cost of it. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there, uh, there's no free will on that. I, I, I had nothing to do with that decision. The decision was made for me. Now, I fell when in was love. this? When was this? April 2014. Okay. So I decided to, to make an exchange. Uh, that wasn't the, the idea I liked the most, but for any, any idea that I had, I had to build an exchange. So we, I, I met my, my, my co-founders. Uh, they had a web developing com- company. We started building Buddha on April 2015. We launched um, with zero customers, one customer. I was the, the, the only registered customer. And it all started from there. Then we made... We raised some money from DCG and from local investors. Then we got a fund from the government, which was very cool. First time the government was from any country was backing something related to crypto. Of course, they didn't know it was crypto. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, then we opened Colombia in 2016, then Peru 2017, and then Argentina on the middle of the crash so so that's uh. that was our fourth and last uh, market we opened and we've been up since then how much of a roller coaster has it been oh huge so we 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 let the the bubble the 2017 bubble which was good and bad i was i was sort of worried because for what was happening and it was it was obvious that it was going to crash it was going to be bad but then it was. We still grew as a company a lot. We were we before the bubble. We were like five people. After the bubble, we were thirty-five people. And in March two thousand eighteen, all the banks in Chile, like every single bank, at the same time, shut every single bank account of every single uh, crypto company in Chile. So and Chile was like sixty percent of our income. Was there any warning of this? No. Just no. overnight? No, we received a letter that said that we had 14 days. Uh, we had two weeks, 10 days uh, of running time to, to get the money out of there. And what the reason being? So there wasn't one reason. Some said money laundering risk. Another said lack of regulation. Others didn't say anything. So we went from growing a lot to having zero operations in Chile. That was in March. How many we, employees did you have at the time? 35. 
Right, okay. So, so we went from, from making a fairly good amount of money to zero in a, in a span of two weeks. Wow. Yeah, so we sued the banks uh, on on the free competition court. How do you, well, um, to the court um, related to economic freedom in Chile. Wow, because they're... Because this wasn't actually regulated. This wasn't no, a- this wasn't regulated. And even though in the contract, banks always have this uh, right to close an account without warning and because of no reason. And they were very, very um, stupid. So all the banks at the same time to all the companies. So they colluded. Of course. I mean, we, we didn't sue them for, um, for collusion because that's very hard yeah. to prove. But it was so obvious, and we had—I mean, we had a very—we had a large uh, KYC team. We had our protocols. The protocols were uh, um, certified by an independent company. I mean, we were doing our job, um, so this one wouldn't happen. So the court ordered them to reopen the accounts. They did. How long did that process take? Like a whole month. Okay, that's not too bad. No, 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 yeah, it's yeah. not too bad. But in that month, we lost 40%, or it was like 45% of the customers. Did you have to turn the website off or could no. people still trade with what they had in their account? No, we have to. We, we gave everything back. Okay. Um, they couldn't trade. There were, there were in pesos, right? So right. there were Colombian pesos. But then they reopened the accounts. We were still on trial, but they closed all our accounts in Colombia like <sighs> a week later. And is that coincidence? Yeah, I think so. Okay. okay. Yeah, no, I, I don't think there is any 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 correlation between between the two acts. So 2018 was bad for every crypto company, and we weren't exception. It was it was horrible. The, the okay. team went from 35 to 10 people. Um, okay. We had to raise money again, but here we are, up and running again. The company is healthy. All our markets are up and running. It's it's been it's been a roller coaster. Bitcoin's about to go back over ten thousand dollars. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> uh, we're at nine thousand seven hundred. So uh, amazing. Yeah, another record for the year. No, we're 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 super super uh, happy with 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 our history. We're very proud. Um, we've been always very focused on Bitcoin. We our customers can trade other cryptos, but Bitcoin's our main. But you don't have a lot of different coins on there, right? No, I, we have Bitcoin, Ether, Litecoin, and Bitcoin Cash. But we were one of the, we were, I think, the, f- the first or the second exchange in the world to have um, to allow our customers to receive through Lightning Network and yeah. and deposit and pay Lightning uh, invoices. So that's very is, interesting. So yeah. I know that uh, the Hoddle Hoddle guys did it as well. Uh, the Hoddle Hoddle, the the yep. guy, yeah. But I know they did it as well. Yeah. Was that challenging to build that out? It was challenging, but all the competition was 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 there. So, so I, I guess the, the the biggest risk was that we were going we're one of the first. So there's always this uncertainty, um, confusion, and fear. I don't think it was that hard in terms of technology and technology wise. It was it was hard to take the decision and to open it. We we did open it with a lot of restrictions and and very very safeguard, but. It wasn't easy. I think I think the hardest part was to, as a team, as a founder team, decide that that was the future of crypto and we were going to commit to it mm-hmm. much earlier than the other big companies that we were looking at. So it's hard to, in that in that sense, be the point of the arrow. Did you get much uptake with the lightning use? So, you know, is there 
And, and what is the use case? Is it people who just want to trade but just have less money? They want to trade with a few dollars. So we want to we wanna push um, this protocol that allows that takes advantage of the huge inf Bitcoin infrastructure, like the, the main net infrastructure, but without the need of the 10-minute confirmation. And so the use case, I guess, was paying people, paying bills between them, and, um, and it hasn't grown that much, but we didn't expect our, our, our business to be based on, on Lightning. Mm -hmm. uh, we just want to help the ecosystem and the technology to grow towards a future where we see that the infrastructure that has been built is useful not only for big um, transfer, but also for small payments, and that that's where Lightning Network is so important. Oh, so you just you're ready in advance of when it may be yeah. is required. Yeah. On at a large scale. Yeah, and we want we want to help the ecosystem look where it's possible to. Okay. To to, to do stuff. So you're in four countries. Well, yeah. Argentina, Peru. You're back in Colombia. We're back in Colombia. Yeah. What so happened? We were. So in Colombia, we tried to sue the the banks. Um, that didn't work out. So so Colombia doesn't work as well as Chile. Ch Chile works really well. I was amazed. I was super impressed with that. No, in Colombia, we tried everything. We also we we even talked to the um, minister of the vice president of of economics. Like he received our, us in, in his office and he was he wrote about Bitcoin before he was a vice president uh, in 2014 so he was super happy he told us that at the end of the of the of the meeting um, no we, we we found um payment processors that that were willing to give us service because we we were very known in Colombia and we are now starting to get relations again with some banks. I guess they got scared. So Colombia also has this history of drug lords, and I'm not sure what what happened. But it took us a, a year and a half to reopen the operation. So right. we're we can't be any happier because because of that. Do you do you plan to expand through all of Latin America? So that was the plan two years ago. Now we want to consolidate what we what we have. So opening new countries is the easiest part. The hard part is to consolidate. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. Right. So should we talk about the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the big thing? Because this is gonna. This is. So firstly, let's let's just put it out there. I find this really interesting, and it is going to be controversial, and not because you're doing it. It's because of the implication that comes with it. It it is. It kind of throws out an accusation. Um. Maybe a couple of accusations out there, but I still think it's super interesting. So we're going to get into the area of, you know, carbon emissions. We're going <laughs> to talk about that, and it's something I've covered recently. And uh, you know, I did say something recently that pissed a few people off, and I did word, you know, I did word it very badly. But you know, it is what it is. I personally, yeah, you know, I'm going to put it out here. I personally believe that humans are causing the planet to warm up. I do believe that. And I do believe we're polluting our oceans, and I do believe we're generally wreaking havoc on on this planet. I am a hip hypocrite. Yeah, I've, I've talked about this, and now I'm flying here, and then I'm flying to Bolivia. So I, am, I fully appreciate I am a hypocrite. Yeah, but let's get it out there. You're about to do something that nobody else has done. So you, you explain it. <laughs> yeah, good. good. <laughs> no pressure with that introduction. Um, so yeah, in Buddha. 
I don't, I don't think it's an it's an accusation, but but I, I know that this community, some in this community, will get offended because of this. But in Buddha, we we decided to not only start measuring and compensating the carbon footprint that the our operation um, produces, which is taxis and gas and electricity and servers and whatever that that, that we use, but we're giving other customers the possibility to mitigate their carbon footprint emission when they're doing Bitcoin withdrawal. And we're doing this because there's a fact. It's a fact that Bitcoin is consuming. It's not wasting. And that's where people get super offended. Like mm -hmm. nobody's saying that Bitcoin is it's wasting electricity. No, um, Christmas light. Lights uh, waste electricity. Bitcoin doesn't waste electricity, but it, but it consumes a lot of electricity, so much that it consumes even more than Chile, the whole country, 17 million people. And and that electricity, it's produced mainly in China, where like like the the, the greater the great percentage of of the electricity is, it's comes from from coal. So we are the, the the Bitcoin industry is having an impact on the world. And I think on, on the ecosystems, on the natural ecosystems, on on the planet. And I think that it's beautiful. I mean, I don't want to take it from. I don't want to look at it from the accusations point of view. I I, I want to look at it from the other side. I think it's beautiful that we, as a community that is just being born, as a technology that is just being born, can actually measure our impact and start mitigating it. So what we're doing is that we partner with an NGO that it's recovering wetlands in the southern part of Chile. So wetlands are super important ecosystem, natural ecosystems, because there are many um, flora and fauna that only lives in wetlands. So if you kill wetlands, you can actually, like, like species can go extinct. Mm -hmm. um, so they're working with wetlands that have been destroyed near cities. They're restoring them. So what we did is that we calculated the, the footprint of a single transaction with a lot of, we, we, like, we did a lot of estimates, but whatever. I mean, you can discuss if it's 300 or 280. The thing is that we measure the, the, the carbon footprint of a single transaction, and, and we're telling our customer, every time they're making a withdrawal, we said a single transaction of Bitcoin produces more or less like 300 kilograms of, of, of carbon, carbon dioxide. If we go to the, to the market, to the open market, that's like two dollars. That, that's what it costs. Like it's six dollars in, in big quantities. It's, it costs six dollars to buy a whole ton of carbon dioxide. So we're saying at three hundred dollars, I mean three hundred kilograms, it's about two dollars. Do you want to compensate you, the, that footprint? And that money is going to go to this NGO that is going to help restore the, the wetlands. So it's, it's optional. It's optional. You can do a hundred percent. You can do fifty percent, or you cannot do it. And again, for me, it's very, very important that people understand that, that, that we're not trying to look hippie. We're, we're accepting that Bitcoin consumes a lot of electricity. That electricity is not wasted. It goes 100% to security. Yeah. So the blockchain is ever more secure when we increase mining power, right? So and that's amazing. That's amazing. But it has an impact, and we can do something about it. So I would like to transform this into a movement. I would like this community to 
um, feel proud that they are actually doing something. I, I don't know if many industries, like just born industries are are, are doing this. And I mean, we can do it. You get it with airlines, right? When you book a flight, you can choose to offset your carbon. Not, not in Chile. I mean, no, yeah, I guess you, well, <laughs> you it, can. But it depends yeah. on the airline. I know, yeah. for example, with British Airways, they have an option at the end where you can just pay and it's, you know, it's a few pounds or whatever. It depends on the journey, but you can pay to offset. I've always wondered with some of these things, what is the thing they're doing to offsetting, to offset it? And does it actually offset it? That's one of the things I do wonder. But it's a very interesting thing because, again, this is another thing that's very difficult to talk about because you're right, it doesn't waste the electricity. It is used for security. But even wanting to discuss it sometimes, the Bitcoin defense comes up, yeah. which is, makes it very difficult to talk about. And I've also seen mixed you know, reports on you know, you know, what, what energy is used. Is it, you know, is it dirty coal? in China yeah. or is it clean energy that's produced you know in Iceland and I've seen a kind of a mixed bag but at the same time there is a lot of energy being used you know if bitcoin continues to grow it's it's going to be more you know it is a, a a certain percentage if there is a way for people to have a choice if they do it's completely optional and you want to you know offset your carbon i can't see why this is controversial it will be but i can't see why it is yeah. Unless people see it as a threat, they see it as an accusation. Yeah, that, that's the point. So this, this industry, I would say this community is still very sensitive. I mean, we, we take it very personal. When someone says something wrong about Bitcoin, we, we take it like they're, they're damaging our ego, our image, our personal image. Maybe because we're like full into it. Like it happens to me. Well, uh, we, we have a lot invested into it. Uh, I've invested all my all my wealth into into bitcoin and my past 5 years emotionally yeah. time wise um like i just had a daughter a year ago and it wasn't in the best time <laughs> but it's also life. your personal and professional reputation yeah. you yeah, know yeah, if yeah. if you're talking about um <laughs> you know for example if you talk about bitcoin on facebook amongst your friends who aren't into bitcoin you know They'll see it, probably think, oh, just shut up, he's another Bitcoiner. <laughs> but also then they'll read something in the press and they'll say, Bitcoin uses more electricity than Argentina or wherever it is, or Chile, wherever it is. And and then to th for them to then criticize, they're criticizing it because they see magic internet money, you know, a, a way to make a bunch of people rich as using up all this electricity. They're not seeing the deeper layers where with where we want a better, harder form of money. We we want money that can't be stolen, yeah. you know, which is especially relevant in places like, you know, Argentina, where I've been and talked about, Le, is it La Coralita? Yeah, yeah, Coralito. Yeah, runs. Yeah. You know, uh, I was with Latvia recently where twice the, 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 the currency's changed and completely wiped out people's savings. You know, we've seen what's happened in Venezuela, Zimbabwe, Iran, you know, Turkey, lots of different places. So they, they don't understand that this is actually, a t is actually an important tool for liberty and human rights. Yes. But therefore, when e anybody ever brings these up, I think people are s have such a defense because part of their identity is linked to Bitcoin. Yes. You know, and yes. if your identity is linked to, something, linked to something, a criticism of that thing is a criticism of you. I still feel like these things need to be talked about a bit more. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you're completely right. This has to be, this has to be talked. And that's why we feel that what we're doing is important because we're, we're, we're saying, let's talk about it. But it can be it can be attacked. 
I, I, I truly think that as today, you can't consume um, products and just throw the garbage away. I mean, you have to take your garbage, right? If you if you produce uh, CO2 and you don't mitigate it, it, it's the equivalent of not taking your garbage because someone else will have to do it in the future. And we're just, as a society, making the transition. So we're not always, we're not completely sure about this. But in 20 years' time, in 30 years' time, it will be nuts not to compensate as a company. Like Microsoft, a, 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 a month ago, it said that we'll compensate for, for the whole time since they were funded. And oh, wow. Yeah. That's how it should be. Now it's wow. Um, because we're not many companies doing it. But eventually... Every single person will have to compensate for, it, for, it, for its impact. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's cool to be human, and it's also amazing to have a planet. Yeah. I find, that, I find the climate thing, like outside of my personal opinions, it, I find it absolutely fascinating because, you know, the division is bigger in Bitcoin. So amongst my friends and yeah, at home, there's, yeah, there's no real disagreement. Everyone kind of believes climate change is real. It's being caused by humans. If we don't do something about it, then, you know, there's very severe consequences for the planet, of which we're seeing, I think we're seeing now. I don't think it's a coincidence, these weather patterns, these, you know, when I was out in Latvia, they were, they were saying this is the first time they've not seen snow this time of year. It was unusual. Yeah. And, you know, there are the increasing floods in places like Miami and, you know, but I find it fascinating because I, I, th I threw myself into it recently and the volume of rejection of climate change or the science or whether this is a natural cycle was, was huge. And I mean, and the stuff coming in was, you know, I had to kind of try and research it all. And most roads lead back to funding from the oil and gas industry. Um, that's what I found. But at the same time, I, I find it amazing that that there isn't a very clear and obvious basis of facts here that we can all work on, that there is this debate. And perhaps that, that's, that's been the success of the, those who have a vested interest in not seeing any change done. I don't know, but I find it fascinating that there, there is this kind of disagreement, and it's even more so in Bitcoin. It's true. We're very extremist as a, as a community. Um, I, I, what makes me a little bit sad is that we don't even have to... I mean, I do believe in climate change and I do believe that we're part of the reason. But even if you don't, you can actually go outside the city and see how polluted the, the, the farms are and the ocean is. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't need to think that the climate is changing to actually understand that plastic bags in the ocean are not good. So what we're doing with this initiative of, of zero carbon dioxide um, transactions for Bitcoin is to just do our work. We're not saying be an altruistic human being and do this for people that you don't know. It's you used products that, that waste trash, take up your trash and do something with that. Don't leave it there for someone else to pick it up in the future, you do it because you calculated it, and that's the trash. So, so I I'm happy about it. I don't think that this is an attack to the ecosystem. I think that this is a uh, I, I'm raising my hand as a as Buddha, and we're saying, hey, let's 
Let's do it. Yeah, no, I don't see it as an attack, but I think people will see it as an attack. Yes. You, you, I think you will. Yes, I agree. And, and even though it's a voluntary and it's an optional thing to do that you want to choose to you know, offset your carbon of that Bitcoin transaction, pe- people will still see it as a... I think, I think the thing is people see it as somebody within Bitcoin who is adding to the accusations that, you know, Bitcoin is wasteful. Now, I agree with you, it isn't wasteful. You know, the security is important. But that's why I, th- I think you'll get the... I mean, I could be wrong. But, but I, I also think so. So yeah. we could both be wrong. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, we could be wrong. But it'd be very interesting to see the feedback. I think I'll, I'll be very intrigued by it. Do, do we have a date for this? Target um, date? Yeah, it will be during the third week of February, okay. probably. Well, so, I mean, let people know that this show will come out afterwards because I've agreed yeah. to that with you. Yeah, yes, I yes, won't yes, schedule yes, it that it comes yes. out afterwards. But, no, I'll be super interested to, to see the feedback. It's, Me uh, too. Uh, it, it might trigger some other people to do similar. That's the whole point of it. We're zero, as a company, we're 0.0. 0 we, we, we made the math. We have 0.016% of the transactions in the Bitcoin network. So, right. <laughs> so hopefully we're just an ex- uh, We are the example. Uh, not the only ones. Okay. All right, cool. So anyway, um, we're going to go off in a bit. We're going to go meet some Chileans. You're going to yeah. be a translator for me, so thank you for that. Um, just before we close out, uh, firstly, thank you for your hospitality. It's great to meet you, and, and um, I find this everywhere I go, and it's, it is amazing, so thank you for that. If people want to find out more about Buddha and they want to you know, check out what you're doing or want to get in touch with you personally, you know, somebody listening to this might hear about this uh, carbon-neutral Bitcoin transactions with Buddha, and they might want to do it themselves. Like, I'm sure you'd happily talk oh, to them about it. Yeah. How do they reach you, and how do they find out more about Buddha? So Buddha.com, B-U-D-A.com, in social networks, Twitter mainly, Buddha.com, that, the, the Spanish dot. Uh, my email is G, that, uh, Buddha.com, at Buddha.com. So G, just the G of Guille. Um, yeah, happy to help. I mean, this is not about me. This is not about the brand. This is about the ecosystem, the the, uh, the technology. So thank you very much. Let's go to Plaza Italia. And yeah, congratulations for the, for the podcast. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay, so what did you think of that one? Did you enjoy that? Are you enjoying these Bitcoin Around the World shows? Now, I obviously, as a podcaster, track the downloads of each show. I'm always interested in seeing how shows perform. And these Bitcoin Around the World shows, these ones I've done in El Salvador, Argentina and Venezuela, they do always track a little bit lower than my normal uh, interviews with the leading people in Bitcoin. But I do want to keep doing them. I've learned so much about traveling to these places, about how people are using Bitcoin, what the circumstances are, what the situation is locally with regards to currency and inflation, how that affects them, what the political situation is in their country, and also the living standards of people have and and what devices they use and how they would manage security it really is very different when you're in somewhere like el salvador or venezuela when you compare it to someone living in say london or new york the experience is entirely different i've learned so much from it so despite the downloads for these shows being slightly lower i'm going to continue making these shows now, I really enjoyed hanging out with Guillermo, and again, I've got to say a massive thanks. He's a really great guy. He was super helpful. He spent two days with me touring around the protests in Santiago, Chile, not only explaining his view and his opinion on what's happening in the city, but also providing translations when talking to the protesters, which was super helpful. 
The work he's also doing at Buddha is really interesting. And while climate change is a controversial topic in Bitcoin, I think optional carbon offsetting of transactions is a pretty radical idea. And I think it will be interesting to see what sort of traction it gains and also the reaction from people in Bitcoin. I do understand this is a hot topic. I've covered this on my other show, Defiance, and I have got a lot of pushback. There are people who either do not believe in the science which supports human-caused climate change or fear government action. And, you know, I understand and respect some of that. But my personal opinion from my own research and the interviews I've done, this this is a human-caused problem and it is something that needs looking at. I agree with Gunamo, though, when he says Bitcoin does not waste energy. But at the same time, I do recognize the carbon footprint is significant and grown. So I think it's a great initiative. Nobody is harmed by him doing this. And uh, I fully support it and will be interested to see both the reaction and whether this receives some kind of traction or whether other companies or exchanges look to do something similar. So yes, again, third time. Massive thanks to Gilamo. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this one. If you do have any questions, you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at whatbitcoindid.com. Also, thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who supports the show, everyone who supports my other show, Defiance, everyone who's helped with me moving into filmmaking as well. There's so many people who help me all the time, and I'm just always so flipping grateful. So thank you. If you do want to support the show, if you're a regular listener or this or Defiance, both my websites, they always explain everything you can do. If you want to support What Bitcoin Did, head over to my website, whatbitcoindid.com. There's a support section there. It'll explain everything. Even just leaving me a review on iTunes is super helpful. Okay, listen, have a great weekend. As I said, I am meant to be going to Bitcoin 2020 in San Francisco and also Africa in April, but I am having to review my travel arrangements due to coronavirus really fucking annoying <laughs> I, I had all these plans so but but if the travel advice is not to not to go to these places then unfortunately i'll have to delay some of these trips but yes keep an eye out for that have a great weekend love you all and hope to talk to you soon